Today's guest is Jeremy Ryan Slate, founder of the Create Your Own Life podcast, which is one of the most popular shows in the world. Jeremy was named a top influencer by Forbes and has interviewed over 600 of the world's most inspiring people, including Super Bowl winners and billionaires, which makes him a role model to me and a source of wisdom to everybody listening to this today. So Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me here. I really appreciate that. Uh, like super awesome introduction. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks. No, su super grateful. And, and in fact, you have this super interesting story of how you got into entrepreneurship and podcasting because you didn't, you know, start as a little kid selling cookies at four, <laughs> four years you know, old, right? There, there, there's, there's actually a sidebar to that because I did, I did sell newspapers for like eight years from the time. Oh, I wow. Was so I'm, I'm wrong now. I'm totally <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but the, the larger point I was trying to make is you started out as a high school teacher, right? After yeah. studying Oxford. Um, so how, you know, was that always sort of a dream for you? Like, oh, I'm going to get into podcasting one day and, and teach people in that way or? <laughs> no, you know, you it's, it's, it's funny because that wasn't always the plan. Like I said, um, I have my undergrad degree, uh, double major in Catholic theology and Torah. Then I uh, studied uh, literature at New College Oxford and got my master's in ancient history. So not like things that you're like, hey, I'm going to go start a business. Yeah, like, it's exactly, <laughs> pretty much exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> right. So like the goal was to be a college professor. And I applied to, to just one school, which was NYU, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to get in. This is going to be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> didn't get into NYU, so I didn't get into that PhD program. And it's funny because I, I think when you really want to do something, right, like you'd find a way, like you'd, yeah. you'd apply to another program or you'd try and meet a professor there on the board, or you'd do something. And I just, I didn't because I really just didn't want it that bad. And I ended up teaching high school after that. So it was in that period of time, I just, I didn't like my job. I was teaching private school. So you didn't make very much money doing it. You were working very long hours and I didn't really have a teaching background because, you know, college and, and and middle school or high school are very different experiences in, in terms of how the content's delivered and everything like that. Oh, I bet. And then at 24, when I was 24, my mom had a really bad stroke. And that kind of just sent me on a, a whirlwind of trying to find something new, man. And it was a lot of different things during that time period. It started with network marketing, which I didn't know what that was. So like I saw yeah. this presentation, I thought I was going to make a million dollars in like four hours. Oh yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all trying to sell, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, okay. I just need three people that need three people. Oh dude, I'm so in. Um, so I did, did that for a couple of years and I made some pretty decent money, but it just wasn't something I wanted to do forever. And then I ended up actually um, from there selling life insurance which once again, I was good at, but I didn't like the idea of sitting down with somebody and saying, so you need to buy this because you're going to die. Yeah. And it was a hard sell. Right. It was a bit of a hard sell because it's like, you really need this because you're going to die. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I ended up my listing. So I lost all of my 200 products in about 20 minutes to one address in Maryland. I guess they figured Whoa. me out. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of the end of what I thought was going to be the end of entrepreneurship for me you know, right there in that moment. And I had been listening to podcasts for a long, long time, like literally since like 2005, when people were just taking audiobooks that were in the public domain and, and putting them out there as podcasts. So I had always like liked that. And I thought maybe at one point in time, I'd do something like that. And, you know, it was around that time, I ended up actually launching my first show, which absolutely tanked, quitting that after about 60 days and, and starting my current show, which has kind of been a whirlwind. Yes, no, that's such a cool story, by the way. And, and so I want to take you back for a moment, if that's okay, to sure. this, this yeah, idea sure. of death. Because I'm, I'm a huge fan of this idea of memento mori, of, you know, remembering your death. And you said before, you know, when your mom suffered that stroke, like you were sort of rethinking your whole life, right? So what was going yeah. on in your head right now? Were you like, were you really like, okay, so in 50 years, like that's sort of where I want to be in my life. And like, 
the current trajectory just isn't that or you know, it's, it's funny, um, and, and I appreciate you saying memento mori, by the way. Um, I, I love anybody that remembers things in Latin. Um, <laughs> I said five years of it. it was like, I, I took it for 12 years. So 12 took, years? Yeah, so anybody that, that has an appreciation for well, it. Well, we can change the language right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, when I, was, when I was 19, I was playing uh, American football, I guess is the way we'll put it, because I guess yeah. in Europe, you guys call it football too, and it's just not the same thing. Exactly, it's not uh, the same. <laughs> So I was playing, playing football and I was covering receiver, backpedaling five yards to, to go and run with him. And I stepped in a drain and tore three major ligaments in my knee. And it's, it's a relatively easy surgery, um, but the anesthesia didn't go well. And I spent three days in and out of consciousness. I got last rites. Like it was a really crazy experience. And it didn't change me at all, right? Like nothing changed. I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'll. I can. You, you're young, man. Like, yeah, you're, you don't you're think about like that You much, think yeah. you can make it through anything. Like, you don't think life's really gonna affect you. And then at 24, when it was my mom, I was that really hit me because my family's pretty close, and that was a you know she's a very close person to me. And when it was something outside of myself, I kind of looked at it like, whoa, okay, like you know what I mean? Like my mom's 53 years old. Like this you know, this could be, you know, what I have in another 10, 20, 30 years. So like, what kind of experience am I going to create in that time? And what I'm currently doing isn't going to propel that forward. You know what I mean? That's, that's yeah. kind of what I was thinking at that time. No, I love that. And I, th I think that's so important to always have this focus on like, Hey, if I keep living this current trajectory, mm -hmm. I like, if I don't change how or, I'm go or where I'm going, really, I might end up there. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll actually be there. So, so you said before, like the first podcast that you started was a fail. Like, what do you think was the difference then, you know, starting out the second time? Like, was it simply approaching, you know, new approach and strategy or mindset? Or what was the difference there? It was just all around a different approach because, like, like this thing was crap, man. Like, it was like, <laughs> you know, it's like they say you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Like, it just yeah. it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't very nice. And um, I do own a pig, so he wasn't offended by that statement. Oh, you do own a pig? <laughs> but um, I, I, the thing I'll say is, like the audio wasn't very good because I didn't know what microphones were or something like that. Like, oh yeah, just talking to computers straight. Yeah, <laughs> it was me on my MacBook, not even wearing earbuds, like literally oh, just okay. talking to my MacBook. The sounds bouncing around the room. It was very life coaches, and I didn't have a ton of I felt like quality life experience at that point in time. And I look back on it now, and I actually did. I just needed to frame it a little bit better. Um, and the interviews that I was doing were more like interrogations for the poor person that volunteered to be on the other side of the microphone. So it just wasn't a great experience. And then in terms of like how it was perceived, like the, gra the graphic design wasn't very good. Uh, somebody actually ended up having the same name as me. So I changed the name. So it was wow. a lot of things. Like I learned a lot from that experience, you know, do anything you're going to do as a professional, you know, research and see what's out there before you come up with an <laughs> idea. Your idea may be great, but you have to differentiate a little bit better. And then, you know, number four, like, remember this is about helping someone and not about you because the content we create as content creators, man, like we're doing this because there's an audience consuming this because it's helping them. It's, it's yes, it's about us and branding and getting out there and stuff like that. But to a certain extent, if you're not serving the people listening to you, you're not going to be in it very long. For sure. And, and now the second time around, you've been in it for a long time, over four years now, right? Just consistently yeah. like putting out what three episodes a week, which is yeah. just incredible consistency. So what, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? And you've interviewed some incredible people that I've been looking up to for years now. So what are some of the things that have really shaped you also in your own life? Huh. Well, the, the biggest difference was, first of all, I put, like I said, I approached it like a professional. So I took some courses on it. Um, I actually took, a, took three of them, which I'll be honest with you. 
was too much because it was almost so much that I was, wasn't going to do anything at all. Wow. I think a lot of times we, we try to over-prepare and we don't take action because of that. So, you know, having the data was great, but don't get weighed down by it. That was a big thing I learned. Um, the other thing was, hey, if you're going to do it, man, do it big. So I made a list of the top 100 people I most admired and just went for it. Like I figured Love out that. how to reach out to them, <laughs> sent some emails. Like the first person I emailed was Seth Godin. Oh, wow. And the first one, actually. Very first. Yeah. I, I have no interview. Seth, will you please do my podcast? And he was very nice. He said, you know, yeah. um, I wish you the best of luck, but, you know, timing right now isn't right. So when you get to 400 episodes, let me know and we'll do it. So he is my 400th episode of the show. Um, wow, that is amazing. I held, I held him to that promise and he was very kind to, to, to show up and do that. Um, so honestly, it was the quality of the guests I was talking to, the amount of action I took up front because I sent out before I knew what automation was, I sent out 3,000 individual LinkedIn messages by hand. Whoa. Um, just trying I, to like connect yeah. with people and get them on the show? Well, not even that. Just get them to listen and subscribe because, wow. because the number one thing that. that's going to rank a podcast is the number of subscribers in a 24-hour period. So I, was, I, I knew that statistic. So I was trying to push for that. And also, you need your social proof. So I was pushing for reviews as well. So I was doing that. Um, and I also sent out like I had built a little bit of an email list of maybe like two, 300 people. And the amount of time I had been doing all these other things. So reached out to those people, went through my phone, found that I had about 700 people on my phone. So I was calling, <laughs> texting, doing whatever I could. Um, when we went out places, if I was with people that I hadn't even thought of, I'd be like, great, can I see your phone? I need to review my podcast. <laughs> I love that. So I did whatever I could do to get it in front of more people because like, there's almost a million podcasts out there. And you know, there was only around 500,000 when I launched. And to be able to differentiate, you got to take so much action up front and be different in how you're servicing people. So like, I really was taking so much action. Yeah, for sure. No, I love this really proactive approach also of marketing, literally getting out to every single person that you know, right? Because otherwise, yeah. like it, the, the market is so dense, right? There's so much stuff coming out there that if you don't put out your voice and also create high quality content that obviously you're also producing, right? Then, then just no one's going to listen to you. Right. And, and here's the thing too, because people complain about like, I don't have the budget and I don't have the team and I don't have this and I don't have that. Like, dude, I had no social following. <laughs> I had no money at that point in time. I had, it was me and, and my dog. Like it wasn't like a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things behind it. So I had to find things where I could take a lot of action. Um, I was inspired by a book called the 10X rule on how to do that. Crank it down and, love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly find out where you can take the most action because there is so much you can do. That's only going to cost you your time. And when you don't, you don't have money and you don't have a team and you don't have a brand, your time is all you have, man. So be willing to put it in and be willing to figure out how you can make it go right doing that. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what, what I've also realized is like how helpful people, like how willing people are to really help you out. If you, you, know, you have this mission and you share it with them, like people are so, like so many people that like I never thought I could ever talk to. Well, like, yeah, sure. Let's talk. Right. Like, cause because if you have this mission, like it attracts people, right? Mm -hmm. No, a hundred percent. And that, and that's the biggest thing that I feel like I was so successful reaching out to guests is because of the purpose of what I was doing is, you know, I want to help people do this in their own terms and do it at a world-class level. Like it's very clear and concise and people can buy into that. And I think that's just really important, whether it's a podcast or whether it's growing your business, whatever it is, your mission needs to be something that's going to help others survive well and be something that people can really buy into. Yeah, so it has to create that, that constant value, right? Now, I've, I've heard you talk about on, a, on another show. I think it was with Jay Wong, Interchange Maker. Shout out to him. Um, oh, Jay's about, the man. Yeah, Jay's the man. I love him. I've been following him actually for, for quite a while. Um, and that's how I found you as well. So 
I've heard you talk there before about, you know, the, some of the people in your life actually were trying to hold you back almost in the beginning, sure. right? Can you yeah, share it, something of that with us? Because I think there's such a common theme among entrepreneurs, among people that have these crazy visions, right? And it's like friends or family, they, they don't want you to go out there and pursue that. And, and honestly, it's because it, it's not because a lot of times that they're bad people. Yeah. It's because that they're comfortable doing whatever it is that they're doing. And if, if you change or do something different, that makes their situation look different or maybe not as good or whatever it may be. So it's just, it's a fear thing, man. Like it honestly is like I had one of my, one of my best friends reach out to me in the beginning when I wanted to look at my network marketing business. And he told me that, you know, he was going to do whatever he had to do to see me fail. I'm just like, Whoa, wow. okay. Wow. Like I thought we were, I thought we were really close friends, but then when I look back on it, you know, I saw the negative comments. I saw the criticism. I saw the different things. And I think a lot of times you have to have your antennas up for that, man, because you're, you're ignoring a lot of the signs that someone doesn't want the best for you, even if you aren't going for entrepreneurship yet or you aren't reaching big yet. So you need to kind of not sugarcoat it for yourself. And I feel like that's really, really important to take a look at it that way. And honestly, I, I tell people one, one of the things that, that uh, is most dangerous is when somebody's saying, you know, I'm just telling you this because I'm your friend or I'm just oh, yeah. doing this because I love you. So what you're telling me is if you didn't love me or you weren't my friend, what you're doing wouldn't be okay. Well, then how does that make it okay? So it's, it's, it's kind of like a, like a backhanded type compliment or criticism or something like that. So you really want to watch the people around you, man. If, if they don't want the best for you or if they don't want to go the same direction you do, you know, that's fine. And it is what it is. And, you know, it doesn't make them a bad person, but with them in your space and with them in your environment and, and that being your surroundings, you're not going to level up yourself. You need to surround yourself with people that are going to work harder and push you harder. And honestly, my podcast has been the biggest thing that's helped me to do that because it's connected me with so many people that I, I just wouldn't, wouldn't have the time of day for me, honestly, before that. So it, it's been an incredible networking and leveling up in that way too. Oh, for sure. Bad. No, it's, 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 I think the best way to, to make connections at the level that you're seeking, right. And to find this inspiration, even if you like living in a small town, like not a single other person other than that pig, right. <laughs> like <laughs> he's very handsome just, though. I might add. Oh, is he? <laughs> that, that, that totally makes up for that. But, but one of the things is like, even if you live somewhere where like there's no connections, right. Online nowadays, you can still find those connections, right? You can still yes. find online mentors or books or podcasts or whatever it is, like people that will lift up your thinking. I think that is such a powerful thing. Well, it's huge, man. Like, like I have uh, my mastermind group meets every week on, on Wednesday at two. One of the, okay. I'm, I'm in New Jersey. One of the guys is in Buffalo, New York. Another guy's in Seattle. Another guy's in Chicago, Illinois. Like geographically, we wouldn't really have any way to connect. But, you know, being online and, and having similar purposes, we're able to do that. And I think that's a really huge thing you hit on. You know, there are ways you can connect with people, whether it's on Quora or whether it's on Facebook or whether it's on LinkedIn, whatever it may be, you can connect with people that are going to help you level up. Like I came from a small town that's five eighths of a mile in size. There is no grocery store. There's a regional <laughs> high school. Um, there is no middle school. So it's like, there isn't a lot going on there, but you find a way, man. Like you find a way to connect with the right people. You find a way to to do the right things and go in the right direction. If you think big, like that's really what it comes down to thinking big and finding people that are going to support that big vision. Yeah. Now talking about thinking big, is there still anyone left? I mean, you've interviewed a lot of incredible people. Is there still anyone left on your bucket list from the beginning of those first hundred people? Oh, it keeps, it keeps growing. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and number one, so I'm a huge music fan. Um, and the reason I started playing drums is actually Dave Grohl, who's the original drummer for Nirvana. 
and oh, the, uh, wow. so he's vocalist, the-, the current vocalist for the Foo Fighters. And uh, I've reached out to his team, God, probably 10 times at this point. I've <laughs> talked to them. They're really nice. They haven't scheduled anything. So Dave's still number one on my list. Um, I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan as well. So I've talked to Robert Plant's publicist before. Wow. So it's, it's, it's funny because I don't feel like the list is ever done. Yeah. You know what I mean? You continue growing and growing and growing. Um, I will say, sadly, like one of the people on my list that I had connected with um, on Instagram and it didn't really go anywhere was Kobe Bryant. And that was somebody that I was oh, hoping, shit, hoping yeah. one day, you know, in the future, mm-hmm. you know, at some point in time, we could make that happen. Um, but that's an opportunity that's, you know, not going to be there anymore now since mm-hmm. he's passed. Yes, yes, unfortunately. Now, what do you look for in interviews? Like when you, how, how do you find the ones that actually become a great show? Ooh, that's a really great question. I'd say first and foremost, it's somebody that's doing something different. And because it doesn't necessarily mean they have to be famous or be a celebrity or be whatever it may be. Like my episode today was with a woman that made tons and tons of money building a spray tanning business. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even know people do that. Wow. <laughs> so it was very interesting to me to learn about a new and different industry that I didn't really know about and what it's like in that industry. So for me, I think it's honestly as an interviewer, whatever really gets my curiosity and gets me asking the right questions. Because I do try to prepare in the right way. I tr- do try to be ready for that person to give them the respect that you know they gave me their time. But at the same time, it's what is curious for me about this person or what do I want to know about this person? And I find, honestly, those are the best interviews. Like I had uh, three-time fi- Indy 500 champion on the show, Elio Castroneves. I am. Oh, I, I was a fan of him before he won his first Indy 500 in 2001. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so it, it was just, it was kind of a fanboy moment. But at the yeah. same time, you want to know like, well, how did you, like, you're going 225 miles an hour down a straightway, straightaway oh, in Indianapolis. Like, how do you have reaction time for that? Or like, you know, when you have things going on in your life, how do you compartmentalize that so you don't have a car accident out there? So it's like, there's so many interesting things I want to learn about different careers that, to me, that's what makes a great interview on my end is, is when I prepare well, it's a cool person that's good at what they do, but I'm also innately curious about what they do. Yeah, I love that combination. And if there's one more thing that I, I could throw in is like what I've realized is like there has to be a personal connection, right? Like this oh, same energy, right? And like, like that's what I love, you know, when you're coming on a show and there's just this big smile, right? There's this energy. It just makes it so much easier for as a podcast host, right? To like actually host the thing and, and then talk. Well, I, I would agree with that because I've had some guests that I was very, very excited about. And yeah, the interview was okay. Um, but at the same time, they just didn't mirror my energy or they weren't willing to talk or whatever it may be. And that, I guess, just going back to that Castroneves interview, because like I said, I'm a super fan. I, I got done with that and I go to my wife. Wow, it's really cool when somebody you really admire turns out to be a really cool person. Yeah. Because I, I think that's honestly like some of my interviews I still get nervous for. And it's for the people that I really like because wow, yeah. you don't want them to get on there and be like, you know, have your vision of what they are be like blown up. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like at the same time, there does have to be a guest that's really willing to talk and share. And when they're not, it's, it's hard to have that connection and have a great interview. Yes, I love that. Like, like you said, oftentimes there's this disconnect, right, between how you see that person and when you actually meet them, right? Yeah. It might also be, you know, just stressed or they're tired, but, but oftentimes there is this disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talk about, you know, sometimes you still get nervous. Do you have any kind of sort of preparation, like mental preparation before interviews, anything you do, or is it just sort of go time? Uh, sometimes I go for a walk and stuff like that because I feel like one of the things is like 
you know, when you get nervous and stressed and whatever, your space like closes in. So you kind of feel like you're in a box. So going for a walk kind of helps you to open up the space around you, feel a little bit better, handle a little bit of that stress. So that's one of the things I do. If I have time, like you don't always have time for that. Honestly, I find one of the biggest things is just kind of saying, all right, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like good or bad, it is what it is. Like you, you, you have an outcome that you want to create. You have an idea that you want to create. And as an interviewer, you can take a lot of responsibility for what's happening and, and see what you're going to do with that. So that, I don't think I really have any special things I do other than like, if I'm really stressed, go for a walk. That's, then, that's yeah, no, that, that always helps, right? <laughs> and, and when you're, pre- when you're prepped enough, and that's not like over prepped, you, you feel confident about what's going to happen. Now, one of the questions that I've heard you ask before, I want to give that to you, which is, what do you want written on your tombstone? Wow. Going back to my mentor, Maury. <laughs> He's someone that lifted others up because that's what I've tried to do even before I had the podcast, before my teaching career. My whole life, I've tried to help other people do things. Like I was a personal trainer for years and I really tried to support people in that. Like for me, it was like such a big win when I had a friend that was diagnosed with quote, social anxiety disorder, um, decided not to take medication. So I said, okay, cool. We're going to fix you. We're going to make this better. And, you know, I will say I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but you know, what we did is we handled his diet. We got him in the gym. We got him working out. You know, I helped him find a job, helped him get moving. And what do you know? He's doing some great things in his life now because he felt better about himself. So for me, it's always been about lifting people up, whether it was in my personal life or whether it's in business experiences, you know, I like to connect people that I, I, when I see two people that have very similar visions, I'm like, oh, these people make some beautiful music together. I don't know what it's going to look like, but let me connect them. So I want to be the person that lifts other people up. And I want to be remembered as the person that lifted other people up. Absolutely. Love that. Is that something that you've sort of developed over time or did that your parents teach you that? Cause that is a very rare thing. You know, it's just kind of been there. I, yeah. I don't really ever know where it came from. I've always just kind of done it. Um, in certain occasions, it's been kind of weird. Like I was a little kid and uh, I was on stage and we were doing like Jesus loves the little children. And I saw a crack kid in the audience that I felt like might've been left out. So like I kind of singled him out in that case in time to like, in my mind, make him feel accepted. And when I look back on it, it kind of seemed a little bit weird, but I've always kind of had that where I've wanted people to feel accepted and it's just, or, you know, better at something or lifted up or whatever it may be. And sure it's developed and gotten better over the years. um, But it's always just kind of been there for me. I don't know where it comes from. Okay. Okay. Now you mentioned this, this, you know, fitness coaching before, right? And that's something I'm always super fascinated with because you were actually a professional bodybuilder. Are you still? Powerlifter. 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 Okay. Uh, Looking damn strong for sure. (laughs) And, and what I always find or oftentimes is really that people that are successful in any kind of other pursuit, oftentimes are also athletes, oftentimes started out as athletes. Mm -hmm. So is there a certain mentality that helped you also, and you'll go from athletics then to to the business world later? I'd say it's a competitive mindset, honestly, because you're, it's, I don't like, I've worked out with a lot of people in the gym and they won't push themselves. Like I'll push myself. You know what I mean? It's just, you have this drive and this ability to do that. And you can also see like, you know, way markers like, okay, I benched 225 today. If I can get that up 25% and get it up to, you know, 255, you know, this is what I have to do to get to this point. And it's like, also like you set a lot of goals. Like a lot of my workouts were set on, on eight to 12 week um, you know, plans and stuff like that. So I feel like you create a lot of the skills and a lot of the drive and, and intensity that you're going to need in entrepreneurship. Now, at the same time, you learn to temper the things that are, that are bad about it as well, because you, you may have a plan that doesn't go right in 
business in the gym that didn't always happen for me. So you may need to find out like, what did you do wrong? Where did you, where can you go back and change that? So it's a little bit more simple to figure out how to get stronger and lift something heavier. Whereas sometimes it's a little bit more complicated in business where you have to learn how to, you know, properly empower a team and build a team and things like that. And it's just, whereas fitness is a little bit more individualized. So I think it's helped me to, you know, just show up physically and mentally better because I'm treating myself better. But at the same time, I've learned a lot of innate skills, which you're not going to get from anything else in life. For sure. And, and one of the things I appreciate most about it, uh, I've been running competitively for like the last 10 years is like, Woo, more you, power you, to you, man. <laughs> I just love it. The, 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 these tiny stubby legs do not run. <laughs> <laughs> no, for me, it's all strengths and legs and then no biceps. But <laughs> uh, one of the things that I've really learned was how to deal with adversity, how to mm -hmm. deal with failure, how to deal with sickness and pain, right? Because like athletics is just sort of a daily or weekly at least thing where like you go up and you go down and you go up and you go down almost like this roller coaster all the time. So have you had any sort of really hard setbacks in, in business as well? Well, I, I, I'll add to what you just said first uh, and then I'll, then I'll yeah. touch on that. Um, Cause I'll say like, dude, I, I tore three major ligaments in my knee and I had to figure out how to come oh, back yeah. from that. You know what I mean? Like, like I've, I've had tendonitis, I've had, you know, jammed joints and stuff like that. So like, a lot of people would take a look at that and, and just say, all right, well, I guess fitness isn't for me, but you find out how to get around those things. So I would agree with you hundred percent. Like it helps you with handling adversity. Um, I would say in terms of most difficult things, you know, I've had to deal with in my business life. I can't really get too far into this just for, for legal reasons, but sure. in uh, 2000, early 2017, um, we separated with a business partner, which really made things really tough for us because we had to start not even from ground zero, but even a, lo a lot lower from that in a lot of places wow. because, you know, uh, we had a certain reputation and things like that. Um, you know, people knew us under one name. They had to learn us under a new name. So it changed a lot of things. And I had to figure out how to dig out of a hole in that point in time. And, you know, now the business that we've built, it's funny because I look at it, I'm like, we never would have built this business in that previous model. So, wow. you know, I think adversity sometimes can also be a gift because it gives you the ability to, you know, set up something new. Yeah, I love that. And this, this, like, it gives you also the ability to, to step back a little bit, right? And reflect yeah. on your life again. It's like, is this really working or can it really change something, right? So oftentimes I find like these, these adversities, right, actually can make you better. Yeah, I would agree with that 100% because it's, you know, you know, like you're tested and you don't know you have this ability and you don't know these different things about yourself until you go there, man. And it's, it's like funny because a couple years ago, I had a, a week where it was like, I was in like five different States. I was doing three different events and it was all in like an eight day period. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm, I was volunteering at an anti-drug event as one of those events. And I'm just kind of complaining to the event organizer about all the places I had to be in the next eight days. And she looks at me and she goes, wow, think of all the growth you're going to have in that period. And I actually look at wow. that and I'm like, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like I can accomplish actually a lot more because I've had to go through a lot more. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. And, and this, this point is, this reminds me of is really like, Sometimes like if you, if you think back to like this little child that you were like five years old, right? And then, you know, you're 20, 30 years older, right? Like for that little child, this would have been a dream, right? Like for you starting out as a broadcaster, right? That might've been a dream to like have these opportunities. And yet when we get to the point, we like get stressed out. We're like, oh my gosh, another interview, right? Another person. When like that started out being like the whole dream, the whole like reason we're doing it. Right. A hundred percent. And it, it, it's interesting because you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, like I would have killed for this opportunity. Then why am I yeah. complaining about it? And I, th I think that's what you really have to take a look at is, is every challenge is like also an opportunity. And, and that's what you have to look at in it.
For sure. Now tell me about command your brand because you started out as this podcaster, right? And you, now you have other people actually come on podcasts to sort mm -hmm. of spread their words, spread their business. So why is podcasting such a powerful way to really spread your message with the world? Well, it's, it's a very fast growing market. In, in fact, uh, um, I'm speaking uh, in March at one of the biggest advertising conferences in Asia um, on the idea of podcasting being a billion dollar market because wow. around quarter one of this year, it, it's looking like podcast advertising is going to tip into the billion dollar mark, which is pretty incredible. Mm. And it continues to grow. And the forecast is, I think by 2022, we're looking at 1.66 billion Wow. in spent in podcasts and we're almost over a million shows as well so it's a very fast growing space and it can create a great impact if you know how to use it so really what we had started doing is we had started doing like this done for you podcast model and it was a little bit much meaning we like built your website built your show booked your guests put your interview together edited your show did your graphic design did your social media and oh yeah, wow, we so literally everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and literally we put you on podcasts as part of it to promote the show that you were just launching. And we actually cut out all the other stuff and just concentrated on getting people on podcasts. And then we took a look at that and we're like, well, how can we do a better job with this? Because uh, my wife is my business partner and she's been in PR for over 10 years at this point in time. So she has a real hold on what's happening there. And with, with my interview skills and connections in the, in the podcast arena and stuff like that, we, we've taken a look at this. We're like, all right, cool. So how can we make this even more valuable? We've looked at what are the right shows people need to be on for the interviewer and the interviewee? Like, like how is it going to benefit both of them? How are we going to help tell pe people tell a better story? So we even put in an interview coaching process. Like we, we call it story message call to action, how your personal story ties in with your brand message, ties into the action you want people to take and you know, what you're going to give away at the end to make that part of it. So we've really kind of made this better and better and better. And then we've tried to build a lot of systems, meaning, um, you know, writing up every job position, videoing every job position. And we've brought on a few publicists. Um, we have an amazing director of sales. Uh, we have people running our social media and stuff like that. And honestly, you, you can't really grow a business unless you're empowering the people to do a great job at what they do. And that's what we've really tried to do here at Command Your Brand. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. So for anyone, you know, starting out with podcasting, they're listening to this, maybe they, they want to get their first show going. What are some tips that you can give people to maybe not make some of the mistakes that you've made in the beginning? Well, I would say, first of all, you know, get some information, like find yourself a quick course. Um, I know we offer one that's under 200 bucks if you want to check that out. But uh, I would say get yourself some good information on how to do it, but don't focus too much on the information. Because like I said, I went out and got three courses. Like, yeah. don't do that. <laughs> like, I, I got a course on how to like, properly master and edit audio. I still don't need, know, need to know yeah. how to do that. So it's like, it's, it's like, don't focus too much on the minutia, focus on, you know, just the doingness of it and what you need to know. But second of all, like you need to differentiate. And that's something I've learned from uh, branding, you know, super branding guy, David Breyer, who's taught me a lot in this area. Like if you're not differentiating from people in your space, you're promoting your space, right? Like if I'm not showing how I'm different, I'm promoting other podcasts. So you need to figure out how you're different and how your message is different so that people can actually grasp onto that and hold on to that. And I think that's really, really vital. The other thing is understand that, hey man, you need to be in this for at least a year to see some, see this go someplace and be willing to commit to, you know, more than one, two, three months to, to doing this and have a long-term vision in that. For sure. absolutely love that. Now, Jeremy, on the show, we always love to celebrate failure as a stepping stone to our personal growth. So do you have in your life or business uh, a failure that really sticks out that forced you to actually build character and become a better version of yourself? 
I think honestly, it would be the, the, the 2017 business yes, failure please. I mentioned to you because it taught me how to run staff better. It taught me how to build better systems. It taught me how to, you know, differentiate and it taught me more about branding. And it also taught me more about like, Hey, be the better person and, and don't be critical of, of people that you didn't agree with. So I've, I've learned a lot really from that experience and did it stink? Yeah. But did it push me to do something different? Absolutely. Did it push me to grow out of a hole? Absolutely. So I'm actually grateful for that. Yeah. So I've really forced you to become better afterwards. Now, what brings you personally to most happiness? We have a 15 month old daughter wow. and she is just the cutest little thing. Um, <laughs> like, like, like seriously, I, I just don't think many people understand how cute this child is. And uh, <laughs> she, she's been running since like nine months and you know, she Whoa. been talking and everything like that. And, and we taught her sign language recently just wow, because, really? because she's not quite talking, talking yet. Mm -hmm. So we taught her the sign language for more, which is this. And every time she's hungry, she comes in, brings her bowl, and she goes, uh, but she does it like a lot, yeah. like a lot, a lot. And I'm like, does this kid like ever stop eating? And she's like, Dada, Ma? Dada. My, my wife is now laughing in the other room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I would say that, and I would also say travel. Like, my, my wife and I try to travel a lot, and I feel like it's taught me a lot about other cultures. And, and things like that. And we've tried to make it work with business. Like I spoke in, in Kiev last year and she's like, okay, cool. This is going to be a great opportunity to go on, go on a trip. So we, we went to Budapest. We went to Bratislava. We went to Vienna. Um, we were hoping yeah. to go to Prague, but we just kind of ran out of time. So it's, we try to really fit that travel into life because I feel like that also grows your horizons, your understanding of people, because I've went to a lot of places and I find that like, our American point of view and how we're taught places are going to be once you're there experiencing it are not actually how they are. Mm -hmm. So it's helped me to understand a lot more about other people and cultures and enrich my, enrich my viewpoint as well. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Now you mentioned before you actually business partners with your wife, right? So yes. how do you combine the two together? How do you, you know, on the one hand, you're this husband and father on the other hand, you're, you know, this business person and business partner. How do you combine the two? So there's no, you know, interaction or, or I guess conflicts I between the two. I don't think there really is a difference, honestly, because we're, we're very much both on a mission and we're very much both want to create something big. Um, yes, we create time to, you know, be husband and wife and stuff like that. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, going out and having a meal or, or spending some time. Uh, my, my wife's had me watching Grey's Anatomy a lot recently. So, you know, whatever that may be where we spend some time together. But honestly, we're on the same mission. And sometimes like New Year's Eve this year, we were business planning at 11 o'clock at night because we were excited. Wow. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to find that separation when you're working with somebody that you're really on the same mission with. No, I love that. And this, this common shared mission is so powerful, right? That like, if you love the process of like literally New Year's Eve being out there at 11 p.m., right? <laughs> I, I love that vision and that, that drive and bringing that together, I guess, is powerful. Yeah, no, I would agree with you hundred percent, man. And it, it's like I said, like if you're on the same mission and it's going to create the same, it's going to create the result you both want to create in the future, then why wouldn't you be on the same page on that? Yeah. Now tell me about creating your own life. Uh, the name of your show. How, what, what do you mean by that? And how can people really take more proactive steps to, to really truly create your, their life instead of just taking it? I, 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 well, I, I want to look at creation as an art form, right? Cause I think too often people look at life as something that happens to them. And, you know, if you don't do anything proactively, if you don't have any plans, if you don't take any actions, if you don't have any steps, yeah, life's going to happen to you and you're not going to be very happy with it. Creating your own life is about deciding what you want. Sometimes that can change. Figuring out how you're going to go out there and get that and, and 
creating it, whether it's finding the right job, whether it's, you know, creating a family, whether it's in, in a relationship, continually creating that relationship. Cause once you stop the relationship ends. So it, it's taking a look at how you can take a proactive role in life and how you can make your big vision happen. So honestly, that's what it's about. Like decide what you want, figure out how you're going to get it and go get it. Because I think too often people, life happens to them and they're 40 or 50 years old and they're still complaining that life happened to them and they never really took life, you know, by the hand and took it for a run, man. Love that. Now, as a former teacher, I'll, I'll give you your opportunity now to give our listeners one piece of homework because we've talked about a lot today. What would be the one thing people should start applying in their lives that would make the most impact? I would say find the people that are the best at, at what they do and figure out how you can learn from them. So for me, like the way that I've personally applied that is I read a lot of biographies of famous people, meaning like I've read like Sam Walton that started Walmart. I've read um, a book about John Roebling, who's the guy that built the Brooklyn Bridge. So I've, oh. I've, I like to read a lot of books about people that have achieved big things. So for me, that's what I would tell people. Find somebody that's the best at what you want to learn Go learn from that person and don't mix, don't mix messages because too often somebody will say, okay, I want to learn sales. So then they go out and find 50 people that teach sales. And what do you know? They have a method that doesn't work because it's 50 people's different method. You know, if you want to learn sales, go find Grant Cardone and just focus on learning from Grant Cardone. But go find somebody that's the best at something and learn from them. Absolutely. Love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? So what's your favorite social media platforms, websites, whatever it is? Absolutely. So I'm doing a lot on Instagram right now. So they can find me as at Jeremy Ryan Slate over there. Um, but at the same time, if they've loved the message today, if they want to get out there and get more attention, I've learned a lot about how you can get found online and how you can get more attention for your brand. So we put together a great uh, white paper for your audience. And it's the seven reasons no one knows you. And that's over at commandyourbrand.com slash seven reasons. And the word seven or the number seven will both work. Love that. Thank you. Now, my final question is, what is your quest for greatness? So what is that big vision that you want to create in your life that you want to use to change the world? It is literally changing the world. So um, there's, there's actually a video on our YouTube channel of, of a clip from a talk that I gave where I said that my purpose is to, to help the people that are actually helping move the world. Because when I help those people, that's how you change the world is by finding people that have really big purposes, lifting them up and helping them do bigger things. So for me, that's what it's all about, man. Finding people that have really big pro-survival messages that are going to help other people do well and, you know, lifting them up, man, because that's how I make change in the world.